Hi everyone and welcome to The Author's Journey, bringing you stories of authors and their journeys with the written word here in our community. My name is Moni Dujeji. And today I'm delighted to have with me an author who has written two very special memoirs, I would say, memoirs that are very personal about his pilgrimages and journeys on a pilgrimage path in northern Spain called the Camino and parts of his pilgrimage in France as well. Please help me welcome Guy Thatcher. Hi, Guy. Thank you, Moni. Hi, how are you? It's good to have you here. It's a delight to be here. Wonderful. Well, you know, Guy, you and I have known each other now for quite a while. We've known each other in the context of pilgrimage because, you know, we're both pilgrims. But before that, you had a much longer career before you began as a pilgrim. So tell me a little bit about your background and where you come from. Well, uh, my, my professional background was I, I started out in the military. I did a career in the military of about 25 years. Okay. Uh, were you in Navy, Air Force? Where were you? Well, the answer was kind of yes. Okay. I was... I was uh, uh, Air Force very originally, and then I was an Army in tanks, okay. and then I became an Army helicopter pilot. I became an Army anti-tank missile instructor. Okay. Um, I went off and flew in Germany, flew helicopters, uh, came back, went to school at Queens, got a degree in computing, and, and worked in the computing field until I got out of the military. Okay. And then I had a second career as a management consultant here in Ottawa. Uh, not, mo mostly not in the IT field, hmm. uh, but in the facility management field. What's facility management? Facility like management is making spaces like this work. Okay. Uh, mostly offices, some laboratories, okay. but mostly, uh, mostly uh, planning uh, offices. Yeah. My wife was an interior designer who moved into the very front end of the interior design field doing strategic planning. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it became like a, it became a team, team effort. It, actually, there were three of us. My, my daughter as well <laughs> was in the family business. So okay. Oh, was, very good. It was very much a family business. So consult, so military, then facilities management, some consulting work you said you did as well? About, well, about 25 years. Oh, my goodness. Of, of that, that facility management work was all consulting. Yeah. And I, guess, and I guess you retired from that after, soon after, or not long after? Well, I didn't expect to. I was just working a little less, okay. and I, uh, I, went off, uh, I went off in 2007 to, uh, to walk the Camino de Santiago in northern Spain. And my daughter, who was then running the business, I worked for her by that time, okay. uh, she retired me. She said, oh. Dad, you're not coming back to oh. work. Oh, and that's because you're no longer... Well, she figured correctly that uh, I was... Uh, I was probably not conversant enough with the business by then. Oh, I see. And I was going off to do this very different thing. Yeah. And she figured correctly that I wouldn't want to come back. Interesting. Well, you know, this is a, a nice segue into doing this very different thing. So tell me about this, um, this walk that you did. And I know for many people who are watching this, this is they have heard of this path in Spain called the Camino. But for those of them who haven't, can you tell me a little bit about this pilgrimage path and why you decided to walk it? Okay, I'd be happy to. Please. Um, first of all, there's a, there's a place in northwest Spain called Santiago de Compostela. Yes. Uh, and the story is that the, the remains of St. James the Elder, one of the disciples, are purported to be buried there. Exactly. In the cathedral. 
Whether that's true or not, I have absolutely no idea. Neither but, do I. But a lot of people <laughs> believe that they are. Yeah. Uh, that uh, grave, those remains, became the third most important pilgrimage destination in all of Christendom. That's right. After, after Jerusalem and Rome. And uh, it became a place where millions and millions of people over well over a millennium, about 1,200 years exactly. now, uh, people have walked this, this same path mm -hmm. to, uh, to Santiago. And I'd known about the Camino. The Camino is just way in Spanish. Uh, I'd known about the Camino for years, but I had absolutely no interest in, in walking it. And then probably five years before I went, I got this niggly feeling that I probably would like to do it. Hmm. And over several years, it became almost a compulsion, hmm. uh, which I hadn't expected because I'm, I'm not that kind of person. Uh, but it turns out I was. <coughs> anyway, in, uh, in 2007, I, uh, I had trained for almost a year okay. and, uh, and then went off and, and walked in Spain. It didn't work out the way I had expected at all. Uh, really? Now, <laughs> you say that um, you trained for about a year. Um, by that time, I imagine that you were, you said that you were kind of semi-retired by then, so you were a little bit older, correct? I, in fact, I was 70 when I walked the first time. You were 70? Yes. Wow, okay. Yeah. And how did you find preparing for uh, such a long pilgrimage? Because for those who don't know, it is, if you want to walk the entire Spanish portion of it, it's 800 kilometers. So you're committing uh, the, at least a month of your life to walking this. And if you want to walk the other routes, which I know you have, the French side of it, that's even more preparation. So how did you find that? The, the training was actually pretty straightforward. Um, okay. I'd been in the military a long time and I'd been, a lot of that had been combat arms. Okay. So I, I was used to the concept of, of sort of living hard. I'm not sure that's the right term, but, <laughs> but, uh, but sort of uh, going, uh, using your endurance. Uh, so what I did was I got the gear that I intended to walk in and I, and I trained walking in that. Mm -hmm. I got a pack and I loaded it up with more weight than I expected to be carrying. Okay. And I trained with that. So all of my training was done wearing the clothing that I in intended to wear and carrying at least as much weight as I intended to carry. Okay. The reason it didn't go as expected was because when I, uh, I, I uh, flew out of Ottawa in, in uh, in April of the year that I walked, I gave my backpack to Air Canada, mm -hmm. who wrapped it up like a gift package in a, in a big plastic thing, tied it at the top, and, and marked it for Madrid. And the only part that they got right was the M of Madrid. Oh, no. It didn't go to Madrid, it went to Miami. Miami? Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> didn't and even make it across the ocean. It then. never made it across the ocean, and, and never made it back to Canada either. Oh. So I arrived. <laughs> I was. I arrived in Madrid. It wasn't with me. Okay. Uh, I took a train up to Pamplona, and they assured me that they'd have my baggage in the morning. It didn't arrive in the morning, so for five days I waited in Pamplona right. for my gear to arrive, and I realized it wasn't going to arrive. Oh no! So I re-equipped as well as I could, which was minimal, and I started walking. 
My goodness, because you know, any pilgrim who has done this walk or anyone who is training to do for this walk, you know that what's in your backpack is your life because this is, you know, it's not just your clothing. You have your sleeping bag in there. You have your toiletries. You have the things that are very personal to you to help make your pilgrimage what it's going to be for you. So to leave your backpack behind or to not have it delivered symbolically is like having a part of you that's not there, you know? Yeah. Uh, it was funny because that particular thing, that was, that was the business of, yeah, you have to plan, but you also have to be flexible. I learned that. <laughs> uh, but it was because of that loss that the book got started. Really? Because I spent five days in Pamplona with nothing to do. I was in old Pamplona, so I walked around old Pamplona. I, I visited the square where Ernest Hemingway had sat as he was writing his book, The Sun Also Rises, back in the, in the 20s, yes. the other 20s. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and I was writing back to Carol every day an, mm. an email of what was happening to me. And uh, it was, I guess it, it was, it, I hadn't intended to write anything, but I was telling Carol about what was happening to me. Mm and the things I was seeing and what I was thinking about while I was there. And uh, months, months later, uh, when I got, a, I got a home, I was at a dinner party about a month after I got home. And a guy was sitting next to me, he's a, he's a guy, he's been involved with the Kanata Theater for about 40 years. Very knowledgeable about that. And he said to me, he said, I, uh, he said, I read, your, uh, read your emails. I said, really, you know, <laughs> okay. <laughs> he said, well, Carol asked me if I'd like them, and I said, sure, and I expected that they would be, I went there, I saw this, I did that. Right. And he said, they weren't like that at all. They were so elegant. I didn't hear another word the entire evening. <laughs> Not a word. <laughs> because I thought, if wow. he thought that those emails that I wrote at the end of each day, yeah. you know, sort of staggering along, sort of, you know, working on a Spanish keyboard, no yeah. spell check, <laughs> really stream of consciousness writing, yeah. I thought, if he thought they were elegant, maybe there is a book. Well, that's something that's, uh, and I imagine we're talking about this first book, correct? We're talking about A Journey of Days? The other one. Uh, the other one? Yeah. Oh, sorry, I got about it backwards. Yeah. Okay, we're talking about A Journey of Days. We're talking about A Journey of Days. Yeah. Yes. So this, so I actually didn't know that, that it began with you, just the, the whole idea of writing and expressing how you feel began just with waiting, waiting for your backpack to show up. That's exactly what happened. It's funny because one of the things I, I quite enjoyed about your books, because I have read both of them, um, is how how honest they are how authentic they are and how vulnerable they are because you know i i, I understand and this is a theme that i repeat on on the show a great deal is that i, I believe um when an, an individual when a writer is able to open themselves completely and be vulnerable and show emotion in their writing i believe that's the best vehicle to be able to connect with your reader but that takes a great deal of courage and not everyone is able to express themselves so openly. Now, how did you find that process of being so open in your writing? Actually, it was easy because the first few days I was writing emails to Carol. And, you know, we have a good right. relationship. It's a very close relationship. It's a very long relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I was telling, uh, telling somebody this morning that I said, we'll be married 60 years next May. Wow, congratulations, 60, 60 you know, years. Yeah. Wow. I'm not that old. <laughs> no, neither is she. Well, we were, we were child bride and groom, I for see. sure. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so we have a, we have a long time, yeah. very good relationship. So yes. I was writing to her about what was, what was going on. And what was in your heart, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. what I was feeling. What, 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 what I was feeling. Yeah. Uh, so there, was, there wasn't any sort of canned stuff. There, there, there wasn't much of a filter in, uh, in, in what I wrote. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I came back and months later was working on sort of getting the, getting the book organized and ready, mm -hmm. I didn't impose any kind of a filter. There were a couple of places where uh, I was, uh, uh, it was suggested to me very nicely by, uh, by my wife, who's a, v she's a very good, um, support person because she tells me the truth about, about if I write something and she says that doesn't ring true she would tell me you know I think that's very very important I want to continue this this thread about the importance of having people who are honest with us tell us what they really believe but I have to go to a quick break okay uh, please stay tuned everyone and we will come back and continue our conversation with Guy Fetcher Hi everyone, welcome back to The Author's Journey, bringing you stories of authors here in our community and their journeys with the written word. I'm so pleased to have with me today Guy Thatcher, who is sharing with us his stories and his journey with his pilgrimages on the Camino in Spain and in France, and talking to us the, about the importance of being authentic and being vulnerable in your writing. And uh, when, we, when we left for the break, we were speaking about how it's important to have people in our lives who are willing to be direct with us and speak to us about um, when we are not being authentic, when our voices and when our writing are not truly expressing what's in our hearts. And I understand that very well um, because I have a tendency to write from my mind, to write kind of what I think other people will want to hear. And I think it takes, uh, I have my husband and my partner who is also the one that is saying, no, 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 this writing is not really, it's not from your heart. And you can feel it, you can feel it in the words, right? Yes. When it's uh, spoken from the heart. Yeah. yeah, well, Carol has always been my best devil's advocate. Yeah. She, uh, if, when we had a business, yeah. uh, nothing went out of the business that a second person didn't look at, whether it was a, any kind of document, whether mm -hmm. it was a set of drawings, whether it was a, a, a report, an email, a letter, anything, always a second set of eyes. Yeah. And the reason why was to, was to keep it, to keep it, uh, I guess, keep it honest. Keep it honest, exactly. Yeah, because you know, honest. this is a memoir. And yeah. part of the power of a memoir is that you're putting people in your shoes. You know, they're walking, in this case, you know, literally, they're walking with you. Yeah. And, and they're seeing the path, they're seeing the experiences through your lens. And so the clearer that this lens is, obviously, the more <coughs> that people will resonate and connect with you. Yeah. yeah, and you know what? Tell me a story. Tell me a story that is one of your favorites. You know that you think is one of the stories that kind of jumps out and maybe demonstrates some of the the power of what we're talking about here. This power of being uh, truthful and speaking from this place of honesty. Okay, uh, 
I have a lot of them in mind, but there's one actually that I'm going to talk about. It's from the second book, mm -hmm. the, which is the, this, this one. This one, The Journey the, of Days the, Continues. It's in French blue, by the way. Yes. <laughs> uh, because it was across France. Oh, I didn't realize, I didn't appreciate that little detail. Yeah, I didn't either until, uh, until the, uh, the book designer told me. Oh, she said okay. It's, she says, by the way, that's French blue. Ah, that's, interesting. That's the official blue. Right, because you were walking, this was the Be pilgrimage that you actually walked from France. I, I walked in, almost all of it in France. In France, yeah. okay. But I walked about 975K and about 900 of it was in France. That's a, that's a lot. One of the places I went to uh, was a, a, a gîte, think of it as a, as a hostel, mm -hmm. a, a gîte d'étape, run by a couple. Um, he was a Swiss guy, had been a businessman, and she was a, a woman from, from the local area. and. Their story was, was quite amazing. He had been a very successful businessman in, in a number of areas in Switzerland, mm -hmm. and they had a, a family tragedy. His father had killed himself. Uh -huh. And he didn't know what to do, so he decided to walk the, the chemin, mm -hmm. the, the, which is the, the, the way in French. Exactly. And he walked from where he lived in Switzerland, and he walked all the way to Santiago. On the way there, he went through this little village in France, and he, he stopped at a, a, an empty building and he thought to himself, this would make a wonderful gîte. It was in the outskirts of a little village. Mm. He stopped there and then went on. Uh, and when he got back home, his mother said, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? And he said, I don't know. He said, but I would like to do something associated with the, with the Camino. Mm -hmm. And he said, I found this, this wonderful place in this, in this village, but I, he said, I, I, I can't afford it. And his mother said, well, when your father died, he left some money, and I think he would like you to have some of that. Mm -hmm. And she gave him enough money, short 10,000 euros, to buy the place, the, the, uh, the sheet, mm. the, the, the building that he made into a sheet. Wow. Uh, that's him. His, his partner there was a local woman, and she had admired this building for years, thought it would be, be a nice building. Uh, and uh, after he had started working on the, on, the, uh, on the place, a friend of hers said, have you met the Swiss guy? And she said, no, I haven't met the Swiss guy. She said, well, you have to meet him. So they took him out. Anyway, she met the Swiss guy, and they connected, uh, slowly at first, uh, and then more and more. When I went through their sheet overnight, uh, it was, uh, it w they had been running it for a year. It was a donativo place. Which means? Which means you pay what you want mm -hmm. for what you get. Yeah. And they did that deliberately, and you could get, you got dinner there, you got mm -hmm. accommodation overnight, typically a bed, not a room, just a bed, mm -hmm. and breakfast in the morning, and you paid whatever you thought that was worth. And it was uh, it was quite incredible the the uh, the the love and the uh, the warmth in this place was it was palpable. Yeah, palpable. I wrote about them in the book, and I in the book I wrote about both their stories about how they met. Yeah, and and I said, and by the way, they both authorized me to tell them to yes. to, uh, to, to write this down. So why does this story in particular stand out for you? Because you know I've read this, and I and I, there are so many amazing people that you've met, people that uh, touch your lives, touch your life specifically. What is it about this couple? What is it about the experience in that gîte that uh, really stood out for you and that touched you in a way that was different from the rest? Because the welcome was absolutely genuine. 
I walked in after a long day walking. It was a long, hot, muggy day, and I walked in, and she said, would you like to have a bowl of warm salt water for your feet? Wow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was wonderful. And then we were talking, and I had a copy of my first book with me. Mm -hmm. And I gave them the copy of the first book, and they went through, and they were reading the, the lessons learned at the end. And they said, yes, yes, it's just like this. <laughs> That's exactly it. And they asked me if, if they could take the, the lessons learned from that book and blow them up, translate them, and put them around their sheet. Wow. And I said, of course you can. Of course you can. So we made, we made a powerful connection. Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. told them at the time, I said, it's not often that I fall in love with two people at the same time. <laughs> that, but I, I really did. Yeah. It, was, it was so moving, so moving. That heart connection yes. that you make with people. Yeah. And that I know that happens in many places, and, and you know people say that it's even more powerful on when you're on pilgrimage, um, and you know there's maybe a little bit of truth to that, but perhaps it's because we're also walking with a little bit more openness ourselves, you know, as pilgrims, and I believe that you know that idea of being open in the world is not just for the Camino. It's not just there. Right. It's it's not just there. It's everywhere. It's yeah. bringing it here, and it's being open with the world here. Yeah. In our everyday, you know. Yeah. yeah that's great. Yeah. And you know, it's wonderful that they took those words because there there are many words of wisdom okay, at the end of at the end of the book. Words of wisdom that apply not just for how you are as a pilgrim in and in, in on the Camino or anywhere else, but as a pilgrim in life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I think you're also working um, on another project, if I recall, where you're compiling stories of people who come back from the Camino and who are who suffer from this syndrome that seems to afflict many people who come back from such a powerful experience called the post Camino blues yeah yeah are you still working on that uh, I am it's been five years now I'm yeah. working on a book mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's been a struggle yeah. I've got the content but I don't have the form hmm. is the is the, the problem with it uh, but it, but it's true uh, because when I came back I was changed uh, and a lot of people, when they come back, are changed. I think that's why I told you the story about, about uh, Vincent and Sylvie, because when he came back from his walk, he was totally changed, and it changed his life. Uh, and he's kind of a, a stand-in for all of the people who walk the Camino, and almost all of whom lives are changed. 90% of the people who walk the Camino want to do it again. 50% mm -hmm. of them do. Right. Many of those do it again and again and again. They go back and they work as helpers in the, uh, in the, uh, in the hostels. That's right. And they do it voluntarily, uh, you know, free. And it's, it's like being a, 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 a worker in a, in a little hotel. That's I mean, it's, it's hard work. Yeah. And it's not, not very dramatic and it's not very enlightening, uh, but it's rewarding. Yeah. And so people do that. And, and the, the, uh, the Camino effect is, is in fact what I've been studying and trying to get a book mm -hmm. organized around for the last five years. Yeah, because I, I imagine that it's very um, 
it's very intense because you're having to take a lot of research. It's essentially a research book now. You've got a lot of research, a lot of stories that you have to filter through, and now you have to try and create a structure around that that makes sense. You've got to make the story arc. Exactly. And that's, that's been the hard part. Yeah. And I'm still struggling with that. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I have no doubt that you'll that this is something that you'll figure out because I do believe that there is a story in there to be told. And um, I, given how you've written your other books and how honest they are, I, I have no doubt that the arc of the story will will come together for you, because it is a universal story. It's like the universal hero's journey, right? The heroes that go off, face the challenges, and then when they come back, they come back enriched, enlightened, and they want to tell that experience. They want to relive the wisdom or share that wisdom. Yeah. And this is the stage that you're yeah. at. Yeah. Yeah. The two things that I that I the two big takeaways that I got mm -hmm. were first of all, now is the only time there is. This moment is it. And the second one is, if you have a, a dream, yes. a bucket list, if you like, don't wait for the perfect moment. Yes. Go and do it. Go and do it. I talked to a seniors group about a month ago, and I, I said that, you know, I said, you're, I said, I'm, I'm 80. And, and uh, I went and did these walks when I was 70 and 75. Mm -hmm. And uh, the one of them I did when I wasn't all that healthy. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it, there's, there's no requirement to walk a certain distance yes. or to walk a certain speed uh, or to walk a, a, a certain part of the track. You can, you can walk any part, you can walk any way you want mm -hmm. or you can do any other goal that you have. But don't wait for the perfect moment. Yeah. That's, that's a huge mistake. You know, nobody on their deathbed ever lay there and said, God, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that to yourself. You know, those are very powerful um, words of wisdom to share with, uh, with not just uh, pilgrims who are thinking of going, but with anyone um, who is just living their life. And, you know, would you believe that we're down to our last 30 seconds together? I, I'm not a bit surprised. Yeah. yeah. Um, are there any final thoughts that you want to leave in these 30 seconds? I mean, you left us with some very powerful words of wisdom there. I think one of the things... Uh, actually, I saw a, a program yesterday. It was a guy talking about a 75-year study mm -hmm. uh, they've been doing about, about people and happiness. And it turns out, over 75 years, the one thing that is, a, is, is an indicator for both happiness and long health is good, solid relationships. Excellent. More important than anything else. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us, Guy. Thank you. I know you'll influence a lot of people. Thank you so much to all of you for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the next episode of The Author's Journey. Bye for now.